If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Maria, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 214 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for what's sure to be a super classic episode for the ages. With me today is actor, artist, healer, Patricia Ray. You know her from Maria, full of grace, swim fan, the big wedding, all rise. Patricia is here. We're chatting it up. This is an amazing conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it in just a few seconds. And in these few seconds, I want to remind everyone of episode 212 with the hilarious Mitch Fatel. Check that episode out. That was an amazing deep dive into the ups and downs of show business. But now, without further ado, my conversation with Patricia Ray. We're talking healing, the power of community, inclusion. This is an amazing chat, and I can't wait to share it with you. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, star of Maria Full of Grace, The Big Wedding, currently starring in All Rise, a million other credits. We'll get to them. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Patricia Ray. Hey, thank you for having me, Jeff. I was very uh, pleasantly surprised when you um, invited me to come on the show. Well, I mean, it's safe to say it's would share with the audience that I mean, technically, we're like best Twitter friends, right? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All these uh, years of uh, hashtag games, you know, I've uh, always meant to have you on. And so uh, here we are. Let's do it up. Okay. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. So part of my uh, exploration as I prepare is sort of just to kind of dive in. There's some interesting things uh, I found on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> I know. I have one of those. <laughs> I don't know if anybody reads it, but I have one. <laughs> Wikipedia pages are the best. They have all the great, they have lots of great little tidbits. So one thing that popped out at me is when you were young, you grew up speaking Spanish, but it says you learned English from Sesame Street. I did. My, uh, I'm first generation American. My parents are from Colombia, South America. So they didn't speak any English and they were very, um, you know, like tribal, like they, we all lived in the same house. And so there wasn't anyone to teach me English, but you know, we had TV. So that's what I kind of immersed myself in. And, and that's really where my spark and my joy for comedy and acting was ignited, was watching I Love Lucy and the Carol Burnett show later on, 
but definitely Sesame Street, you know, taught me my ABCs and um, my numbers in English. By the time I got to kindergarten, at least I knew something. And then eventually, like, I guess in first and second grade, when I started to master the language, I would not even speak to my parents in in Spanish anymore. I'd be like, just English. (laughs) So did that help your parents learn English the more you talked English? think so. I think that they really learned English at their jobs. You know, my mother was a waitress for a long time. And uh, my father worked at Bulova, the watch, uh, the big watch company in Queens, because that's where I was raised. And then later on, he uh, managed a parking garage. And then he eventually ended up working at the Great Gorge, one of the original Playboy clubs in New Jersey. I thought I was going to grow up to be a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> When it popped out at me, the Sesame Street, learning English from Sesame Street, you know, it's it's a thing in movies sometimes. People come and then they, they always have those scenes where they're watching and then they, they pick up English from just staring at the TV. I think Splash might have even done that, the movie Splash, right? Oh, yes. Amongst a million others. But I'd never met anyone who actually <laughs> had said that. So I was just, was, was it like you're quoting like, quote, like, uh-oh, near, far? <laughs> That's what no. I know, right? I think that that's exactly what the show was created for, for children who were um, children of immigrants, parents uh, who didn't, you know, English wasn't their first language. I mean, you don't need to teach American kids to speak English, but you didn't need to teach all the uh, children that were coming from other countries. It worked. (laughs) It's, It's amazing. It was the for it's like babble for children. <laughs> <laughs> Just goes to show you how important that type of programming is. Of course. And the electric company, that was another one. Those shows also uh, reinforced the, the fact that I could see people of my culture and my skin tone on television because they were like the first shows to actually really um, uh, represent Latinos and, you know, African-Americans and Asians. So there you go. I said, well, if I could see her on TV, I could be on TV. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. As you look back, it was such a... Yeah, Rita Moreno. It was such a diverse uh, cast. I mean, it was like in the ones and then we still, those of us that grew up with, it's still close to our hearts too. Absolutely. So seeing people that represented you, what what is that impact exactly? I mean, I have a little bit being Jewish and seeing things, but it's not as, I don't think of it as the same. Like it's, I always liked it when it, it was a Jewish thing I would see on TV, but I, I don't know that it was just nice to have. You know what I mean? I, I you know what I'm saying? Like for me, I, mm-hmm. you, you I, took it for granted. Yeah, I'm I sure. took, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, because there's a lot of talk about that even now, right? And how important representation is. And and I, I totally get it. I totally understand it, how important it is. And once you kind of step back from the privilege of always having to see someone who looked like me, you realize, oh, you're right. You're right. There is, there's so many other stories and, and people, stories to tell. Absolutely. Like I didn't, I always wanted to be an actress and um, even in grade school. I mean, I was an, a dwarf and, um, the little marching parade and kindergarten of the, you know, one of these uh, like seven uh, dwarfs, uh, the Snow White story. Right. So I was always in um, the drama club and it wasn't until I got to college. Well, it started in high school, but I never realized that there was such a thing as 
typecasting until I got to high school. And then I realized my teacher would constantly cast the Caucasian actresses over the Latina actresses in the lead roles. Like I wanted to play Helen Keller. I did not get that role. However, I did get to play Maria in West Side Story. And then when I got to college, the same thing started happening to me was uh, I would audition for their plays and then I'd get, you know, if they were doing a Greek tragedy, I'd be in the chorus. I I never got a speaking role. That set a tone for me to um, really push myself beyond that limitation because I didn't realize there was colorism in acting. I was like, oh my God, I isn't that the point of acting to put on someone else's skin and, and their feelings and their journey from your perspective? And I was like, I can't, I'm not allowed to do that if I'm not another nationality other than the one I was born in. So I quit. I started going to Flagler College in St. Augustine, Florida, the oldest city in the United States. It's supposed to have the fountain of youth. And that's where I realized that, you know, it wasn't going to behoove me to get a degree in like a bachelor's in acting or arts because I was just going to go out and encounter the same kind of colorism and racism and typecasting. So I said, I'm just going to go to a really great acting school and just start working, just start looking for jobs, auditioning. So I quit college and I went to New York because uh, I was living in Florida at the time. And I went to Lee Strasberg because that's where my favorite actress, Marilyn Monroe, went. I was like, I'm going to go study where Marilyn Monroe is uh, went, you know, and be uh, immersed in that. And then I that's when I encountered like method acting, which really changed my life and gave me a craft. Tell me what method acting is exactly. So method acting is to use a lot of sense memory, um, using um, events from your life to reinvoke emotions similar to what the character is going through. So I was really good prior. And it was because I had a very tumultuous upbringing. My mother remarried very often. We moved a lot. And I always felt like a fish out of water. Everywhere I moved, I was like, oh, now we're living in an Italian neighborhood. So I would act Italian or we're living in a Jewish neighborhood. And I would be like, I want to be Jewish, you know. So that to remember those things, it's a lot of sense memory, you know, remembering what hot is or cold is or what it's like to be in a tropical, you know, forest. If you're doing a movie where you're in the tropic or a play, you know, it's it's easier to do uh, sense memory on stage because you have to use your imagination. But the thing that that does is it, it really makes you kind of dredge up a lot of emotions that you actually don't want to live through anymore. So it can be really traumatic, especially if you're playing characters that have been abused or go through a lot of emotional turmoil. So in acting school, I realized that I had a lot of trauma in my past and it sent me on the journey of healing myself and healing my inner child that was very um, like delicate and bruised. So basically Lee Strasberg sent me to therapy. <laughs> That's what I like to say. After acting school, I needed therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're doing method acting is... What what is it like when uh, when they talk about Jim Carrey being uh, you know the character of the entire movie you know like is that method? 
Yes, that is method. So what he'll do is that because when you're when you're um when you're playing a a character that's very structured like an elf or like the Grinch and you have to change your voice and you have to drop it and you have to change your energy and you have to um, do an accent. It's hard to get in and out of the accent. So if you cut because they have to set, you know, redo it and a take, an actor will stay in their character so that they don't have to like warm back up into it. And I kind of used to do that when I started my first season of All Rise because I had never played a, a judge before. And that character was very contingent on the tone of her voice because that's what gave me my authority as a judge. I would drop my voice and I'd really push the energy through my eyes and kind of the way that I pursed my lips. And every time I did a, you know, an episode, I would panic that I would not find that character again. And I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to be like, that's not Judge Delgado. So I would start preparing and vocalizing and uh, warming up my lips. I would recite lines from my other previous episodes that I've done. I'd watch myself and kind of get myself into character. So when a method actor stays in character, that's what they do. They're just kind of living and breathing in the character and not breaking the fourth wall, you know, not engaging as their real self from their real energy. So in some cases, like you said, it could be a, it could be an unhealthy exercise too, depending on on the role to immerse yourself in. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you're doing like a role where, you know, you're being traumatized or you know, you're somebody got killed in your family or you're, you're being raped or whatever to constantly be in that state of mind is your body can't tell the difference between real trauma and manufactured trauma, a good actor. And so you're actually are reliving that trauma. That's, that's one of the things that I started to move away from in method acting is that I realized that I didn't have to stay in the trauma. I could recreate a trauma for this character that wasn't my personal trauma so that I wasn't emotionally connected to it all the time that I wasn't constantly dredging up things in my past so that's more like a Stella Adler or um there's a another method that my husband studied that I so I kind of mishmash different techniques of acting so that I don't have to constantly be like in a state of method acting. But you you know, I tell my family all the time. Meisner, I, that's the other technique, Meisner. Uh, but I tell my family all the time, you know, when they worry, because I know you mentioned the body doesn't know the difference between manufactured trauma and not. That goes for anything. I tell my family all the time, when you worry about something that's going to happen, you're putting your body through it, whether it happens or not. And so, and I totally get that. It's I try to like avoid that as, as possible. I'd be the worst method actor. <laughs> well, and that's so much a part of the healing journey is to remind yourself to not let your cells and your organs uh, and your body stay in that state of trauma or that state of fear or angst or anxiety because that lowers your defenses and that is an opportunistic place for disease. Sorry to interrupt, but we have to take a quick break. I want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations, and that's how we keep the lights on. 
And now back to my incredible conversation with Patricia Ray. And we're going deeper into Reiki healing. And we're back. And that's my Reiki healer talking. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to ask you, I know you're into yoga and Reiki healing. And my sister-in-law is is a Reiki healer. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And so I was introduced to, I was introduced to Reiki through her. You know, I was one of those skeptics, but then she did something to me once mm-hmm. with my arm. And I mean, mm-hmm. it stopped hurting and never hurt again. And it was something that I'd been dealing with a long time. And it's energy healing is is something I absolutely will not pretend I understand at all. Mm-hmm. I have come to respect those that do it and we'll, uh, we'll seek it out. <laughs> and give it its props. Yeah. Well, I always uh, tell my clients, because I have, you know, uh, healing clients that I heal, that you have to remember that a lot of healing is faith, right? True. That's why prayer is so effective, especially when you're praying for someone to get through um, some kind of illness or faith and prayer is energy. It's focused energy on a specific manifestation that you are sending into the universe. And the way, the same way that our body and our mind responds to negative emotion, it also responds to positive emotion, positive thought positive energy. And that positive energy helps your cells vibrate at the optimal level to keep your body in balance and healthy and healing itself. Many healers that throughout history, very famous healers, Mother Teresa, she was an energy healer. Christ was an energy healer. Uh, Buddha was an energy healer. Um, Mahatma Gandhi was an energy healer. They didn't call it Reiki, but they understood tapping into universal energy and universal healing, and then using yourself kind of as like an antenna to then stream it through your hands, the easiest way to pass energy. That's why hands-on healing is so effective. Why children who are traumatized because they've never been touched or held or, you know, felt any kind of love or compassion. The body is like a plant. If you don't give it water, air, light for photosynthesis, we die. Our cells start to deteriorate. I agree 100%. Yeah, it's a great message too. And it's a great reminder too. I mean, it's like, I think a lot of us kind of, especially with the pandemic, kind of all introverted a lot. And it's... Well, yeah, look at all the people that have been suffering now from mental health and so many issues because of that lack of contact, that lack of sharing that empathy and joy and feeling connection and bonding. So thank you, coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get let's get back to your career. Uh, one of your early jobs was Miami Vice. <laughs> oh my God. Actually, <laughs> if you go on um, like uh, Netflix, mm-hmm. And you can see the episode I was on, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's got my old nose in it and I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) I know how to find everything. You're like, Jeff, I know how to find that. I can find you. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, every time I see my advice, anytime I see that, I always kind of smile because, uh, Crocs and tubs. I mean like that, I had like one of those suit. I like, I, (laughs) you had everyone dressed purple. I don't know. It might've been like more white or, you know, but we we then wear the ridiculous (laughs) t-shirt underneath it. And (laughs) so. Oh, I'm sure you looked very handsome. I'm sure at the time I was very dashing. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, oh, that was a that was a great great experience for me. Remember, I said that um, going back to the um, racism, colorism, typecasting. So Miami Vice was the first job I ever been on a professional set. Like I'd never done anything, no TV, no commercials, nothing. And I went as an extra. And they said, you know. It was a big casino scene. They said, like, bring 10 options of clothing to wear and all kinds of stuff. So I'm I'm like, you know, I'm on set. I'm looking and I'm absorbing all this commotion going on. Then I start to notice this woman who I didn't know at the time was the casting director of the show. And she's tapping certain women on the shoulder saying, yeah, I'd like you to read for this part. It's a one day guest star and we haven't cast it yet. They're casting on, on spot you know, ignorance is bliss. I was like, well, I wonder why she's only asking the blondes and the redheads, you know, that's weird. So I I went up to her and I said, I don't care. You know, I'm always, I'm always, I am of the philosophy that if you don't ask, you don't get, right? Absolutely. People say no, well, whatever. It'll sting for a minute. But if they say yes, it change your, your, um, your career or your journey, you know? So I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, can I read for that? She looked shocked. You know, she was like, well, but I think that shock also allowed her to drop her guard and say yes. So I, I, I read for it and I ended up booking that job. And that's how you became Sally on Miami Vice. Yeah, that's right. You <laughs> saw the episode, didn't you? I don't mess, I don't mess around, I tell you. <laughs> a high tech hooker. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And I got SAG off of that job and I would never did it non-union job. I didn't get because that didn't even turn out to be a non-union job. So I've never done non-union work. It put me in two kind of precarious positions. Number one, I was now SAG with absolutely no experience and no resume. I had Miami Vice, guest star and nothing else. And it forced me to be in the union. So now I couldn't even do non-union work where I could kind of learn how to be on set. I didn't know what uh, marks were or what the positions were, first position, second position, first team, second team. I didn't know any of the, the lingo of being a working actor, except for stage, because I was raised on the stage. It actually took me a really long time to book another job, another television job, almost 10 years because of that predicament that it put me in where I was afforded this opportunity to do this great thing, but not with the right experience yet or the knowledge of what to do with knowing the casting director and making a connection with her and then following up. And then, you know, I didn't even have pictures and resumes at that point. So what did you do to survive during that 10 years employment wise? I mean, Oh God, waitress, lots of waitressing, uh, sales clerks, cashier. I went back to New York. I was, I lived in New York after I shot that Miami Vice episode. I went back to New York and I just started working, 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 then trying to find an agent. I, the agent that had sent me on that job was a non-union agent. So then he couldn't even send me on work anymore. I, had to, I couldn't work with him anymore. So then I had to find an agent who was already SAG signatory. So that took me maybe like two or three years of like taking classes, going to kind of little theater companies, enjoying the 
Puerto Rican theater, traveling theater company, and just keep asking people and reaching out. So somebody, somebody finally said to me, you should reach out to this woman named Wendy Curiel. She's at this um, agency and she signs Latinos to do commercials. And that's how I broke back in. I started doing commercials because once you start to do commercials, work brings work, right? Right. Because you start to be, you start to be on a set with working people. Then I, uh, because I was union, I had to make it my meet my eligibility so I could have insurance. So I started doing lots of extra work. Extra work was my saving grace because I could be on a set, I could watch professional actors working, and I could absorb everything that they were doing so that I could prepare myself to book when I booked the next job. And that's, you know, that's what happened. So I kept working and working. And then I finally booked This America's Most Wanted. That was kind of like my first. You weren't the focus. You were just starring in. (laughs) And I wasn't the most wanted. (laughs) I was a victim. On tonight's episode. (laughs) Patricia Ray. (laughs) So then after America's Most Wanted, I finally booked an episode of Law and Order where I played a, a bartender. And that changed my trajectory again, where I started to book co-star, co-star, co-star. And then eventually I booked a guest star. And then I started to book movies. And then I decided this took like 10 or 15 years. And then, uh, you know, I'm raising my daughter at this point. I got married, helped my ex-husband run a restaurant. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, I want to do more. I want to do more. And so I started dreaming about California. You know, how am I going to get to California? Because that's where all the acting was in my eyes, you know? So I finally get to California. It takes me years to save money as a cocktail waitress, a champagne waitress, bartending, and all kinds of stuff. I get to California, and then I realize I have to start all over again. I have to make all new contacts new agents, new pictures, get to know all the casting directors on the West Coast and go through the same thing, typecasting. So during this 10, 15, 20 year period, what was it that kept you motivated? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what did you keep telling yourself? Like, because once you successfully reestablished yourself in California, then it was boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, 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 boom. But 15 years is a long time. It was a lot of years to say, yeah, maybe Miami Vice, uh, maybe my role of Sally on Miami Vice was a fluke. Yeah, and yeah, you know, maybe, maybe it's just not meant to be, you know? So what's the message that you would give someone of not giving up and, and what kept you so motivated and, and driven on your goal? I think number one, my love of acting, my passion for it. Every time I get on the stage or on a set, I feel like someone put me back in water. Like when I'm not on the stage and I'm gulping for I I don't live so freely. I'm always waiting for that next moment. I mean, I live my life. I raised my daughter. I've been married. I've been unmarried. I live with a wonderful uh, artist, my uh, partner, Matteo Rubato. He's a writer director. And I'm always creating, but creating is my joy. It's my it's my life force that I didn't study anything else. So I didn't have a lot of things to fall back on besides the service industry. So I knew I wasn't going to be a professional waitress, even though I wanted to be a bunny when I was a little girl. (laughs) But 
I knew I didn't want to be in the service industry. That really pushed me and drove me. And I just always had faith. I just knew that the universe or God or Buddha or whatever your higher power is or my higher power is, that he didn't give me these gifts to not use them. So you have to have that faith in yourself, in your talent, in your creativity, in your journey, in your light, right? Every time I work, I touch someone, I connect with someone. And that reminds me to keep going. That reminds me that I was put on this earth for a purpose. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Those are great words. All right. So now you're in California. I'm in California. You're making all these connections here and there. And then, um, wait, you were on another show with, uh, you did an episode of Mary Tyler Moore. There was something where there was a couple epi- couple reoccurring characters you got, then the series got canceled. One of them was yes. with Mary Tyler New- Moore. New York New- News. New- that w- I played a, that's my favorite character name, Ghetto Mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my credit on IMDb. I play this woman whose son fell down an elevator shaft and it turns out that she pushed him. So she, that character was going to, you know, recur, but the show got canceled. That was my first experience in booking something that never, never came back. (laughs) And that happened, that happens a lot. You know, that wasn't my first time that, you know, I was uh, on recurring on Chuck I was supposed to get married to Big Mike and, you know, I was in three episodes that second season and then the show, or third season, and then the show got canceled. So it's a lot of that doing the the one day guest star and then becoming the top of show guest star where you work three or four days like on um, the series with Kiefer Sutherland. 24? No, the other one. (laughs) What was the other one? The other one after that. With Maria Bello. And then I did uh, The Mentalist, where I was a top of show guest star. And then, so once you become like top of show guest star, that's when you realize you could start pushing for like a recurring, you know, keep pushing for the recurring. But you have to be really selective. Like I played a lot of victims for a long time. Always the mother and someone, something always happened to either my child or my husband. They got murdered. They got kidnapped. They got raped. They got shot by, shot in a drive-by. You know, that, that closed the closer episode. My, my son was um, in prison. So at some point, I kept telling my agents, okay, that to me has now become like my, um, my, uh, my day job, right? right. I don't want to play those characters anymore. I'd rather waitress because if I keep taking those characters that I don't leave the door open for the doctor, the lawyer, the judge, because when I started acting, that's all we were written as, you know, victims, hookers, people, very low income, uneducated. They always had to have an accent, but I always had like someone I, I looked up to you know, role model. So I would see a Latina on TV and I'd be like, well, she doesn't have an accent and they're letting her play just an American, you know, character. She's a detective. She's a this, she's a that. I would watch the shows that they did and I would look at their pictures on the internet and see what kind of pictures they used and how they they pushed that agenda for themselves. And I kept telling my agent, okay, that's great. She can be the victim, but is she the lead? Is the story about her? If she's just affecting other people, then I don't want that, you know, I don't want that job. And I would literally turn down jobs until I started to 
play the nurse, like in swim fan, I played a nurse. And in Maria Full of Grace, the story was so much about that character and how she influenced the journey for the other characters. And even though the character, the film was all in Spanish, my character had a job, you know, she was integrated into American society. She was trying to better herself. So I always try to portray characters that they are here, but they're struggling to get there. They're struggling to better their lives. Like the character on Chicago Hope with Jennifer Beals, her son gets killed in the first episode. And so the episode that you see me in the second episode, it's all about the funeral. So they had the director of that episode, um, I think his name was Carl Franklin. He's a very good actor and he's a very great director. He fought to cast me because the producers thought I was too young to play this actor's mother. And he was like, well, why can't she be a beautiful woman? He's a beautiful man. It's She could have a beautiful son if she's a beautiful woman. Why does she have to look be, you know, dredged down and like, you know, like at the end of her life, she could be at the beginning of her life. So I, so I had this conversation with him and I said, well, maybe she did this cleaning job or she sold tacos or whatever, but she decided she wanted to go to school and educate herself. And that's where you find her in her journey. And that changes everything because it changes her wardrobe. It changes the way they do her makeup. It changes the way they do her hair. So when you meet that character, she's not in the beginning of her journey anymore. She's already like expanding herself into this better life. Why? How did her son become a cop? Because she forced him to go to school. She forced him to finish high school. She forced him to go to college. So you can influence your character's journey. And that's what I try to do, especially with characters that are, say, from another country, like in The Big Wedding. My character was originally, she was from Ecuador. And the the young girl that they cast, Ana Yora, to play my daughter, she's Colombian. And I'm Colombian. I was like, well, we're both Colombian. And nobody really knows the difference between Colombian and Ecuador when you're watching a TV show. So I said to the director, why can't they just be Colombian? Why do they have to be from Ecuador? He goes, okay. So then when I started to have conversations with the costume designer, I said, well, this woman is from Colombia. But in Colombia, women take care of themselves. They're very vain and they're very prideful and they like to look beautiful. So I said, she can be modest because she worked for a church, but she doesn't have to be like homely. She was like, yes, of course. So all the clothes and all the things that they picked for me really supported that journey, that she was an educated woman that worked for the church and she was religious and she was a faith, but that she was a woman who had, again, elevated her status because she was able to send her son to America to be adopted by this white family who was now having this big, beautiful wedding. So that's what I've tried to do with my journey is to expand my characters into a better part of their journey in life and education so that I'm not constantly playing the drug addict. So it's not just to kind of tie it back to what we were talking about earlier. So it's not even just about representation. It's how that representation is being played out. And it sounds like you do a lot of amazing things to make sure that people not only have 
role models of the same skin, but it goes beyond that. Like it can actually, people can, they can connect to those characters much more than just seeing someone that happens to look like them. They can then be inspired by those characters as well. Exactly. To inspire a young woman to go out and study or become the thing that she dreams of. You can do that with your journey as a character, but you have to bring that because it's not always in the script, especially when the script is not written from that character's point of view when it's written by, you know, a Caucasian male who was, you know, (laughs) never lived that journey, you know. The other thing that I realized in California, there's only one Latin race, Mexican. They don't see Colombians, Venezuelans, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Argentinians, Chileans, only Mexican. So I really had to hone in on my Mexican accent. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. You know, eventually I started to branch out. Well, it sounds like your personality has, has helped you a lot because it's like even just going back to the story from Miami Vice, where you put yourself out there to get uh, the role that would delay your, your career for 20 years. But no, it's okay. Exactly. <laughs> but, but later, once uh, you made it back to California, it was that same kind of go get them attitude that allows you to probably have the confidence to say, no, 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 we should all just be Colombian. Why, why do we, have, you know, let's, let's do this, dress this way, this journey. So mm-hmm. the one thing I have to say is that I've always, first I book the job, then I start trying to make changes and enforce influence you know the character's journey you can't do that if you don't book the job so you kind of have to give them what they want so then you can ask for what you want the difference between being (laughs) difficult and helpful (laughs) it's when you inject (laughs) sorry to interrupt but we have to take a quick break and we're back with the delightful patricia ray what I like to say is when I when it comes to an, a set, I try to be an asset. How can I be a team player? How can I make this about how I add to this production, to this story? I never make it, I try not to make it about my character because I'm serving a bigger picture, especially on television. When you remember that you're serving a bigger picture and you're there as an instrument to tell the story, then you become an asset. And people hired people that are assets. People hire actors that are part of a team player, part of a community. You know, that's why they kept asking me to come back on All Rise because I was hired as a one day co star. And I turned that into a recurring guest star in three seasons, which is a, a really incredible journey. And doesn't happen a lot. A lot. No, that's amazing. That's I've heard other people tell similar stories, like uh, uh, Nick from Family Ties. Scott Valentine was on same thing. One one episode, and then he became you know one of the main characters of the show. You know, so it always it's a good lesson I think for anyone who's in your profession to kind of take that and go. It's never one job. It's only maybe one job, right, or one episode. And it's and to give what you give and to always be the best and. And, and then you never know what can happen. That's, it's a great, it's a great lesson. I have a question for you. So yes, has anyone come up to you and said, you know, recognize you and kind of said, Oh, I love seeing you on screen. I saw myself through you. Oh, yes. I've had men, especially Marielle full of grace has really touched a lot of people and affected a lot of people. I, I get lots of 
people reaching out to me through through social media. Even they used to write me and people used to write and send fan letters. They don't do that so much anymore. They kind of DM you now. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Everyone right now is like, what's a letter? (laughs) I know a letter. So I did this episode of The Mentalist with this lovely actress. I can't remember her name right now, but it'll come to me. When we were doing the uh, wardrobe fitting for that episode, and I said, oh, hi, my name is Patricia Ray. And, uh, you know, we're going to play sisters in this episode. And she goes, can I tell you something? And I said, yeah. She goes, I studied your Colombian accent in Maria Full of Grace for an audition that I did like a while back. And I was like, and to me, that was so touching, you know, that another actor would use me to emphasize their work to make their work better. And I was like, well, I hope you booked a job. And she said, I did. I mean, how amazing. I mean, doesn't that like make it everything worth it up to that point? I mean, just like, I can't even imagine the glow you felt inside. I mean, it must have just been so amazing to hear that. It definitely gives you that little extra cushion to keep floating through the hard times, you know, to remind yourself that your work matters to people, that you do touch people and you connect with them. That's awesome. I remember her name, Leela Loren, who went on to do wonderful work. She was um, on a Netflix series. She was in the original, um, I got to look her, I'm going to look her up while you ask me a question. Power? Power. She was in the original Power. That is, uh, that's really cool. Unless they were like looking for a Patricia, what don't they go, we're looking for a Patricia Ray type. And they're like, <laughs> wait, no, just hire me. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I don't think that's happened yet, but I'm still waiting for that thing. <laughs> right. Then you know you've made it. <laughs> you can't afford the real one. <laughs> Oh, from your lips to God. <laughs> the big wedding. There was uh, Robin Williams, Robert De Niro, Diane Keaton. Uh, a lot of huge names in that movie. Was that was that fun just to kind of be in that? Wow. That was um, just an amazing experience. N- and not in the way that you would think. Because that movie actually did not do a lot of things for my career. It was a flop. It wasn't received well. The critics didn't like it. The studio kind of dropped it, didn't do a lot of PNG, so they didn't push it a lot. They didn't have a, a premiere for it. But I got to work on a, a really amazing level and watch people like Susan Sarandon, Diane Keaton. I had scenes with Diane to be embraced by Robert De Niro. And, and Robin Williams was such a kind human being to me. Um, the scene that we do in the confessional, he really helped work on the rhythm with me because he kept saying, well, if you do, if you put a little pause here, it'll really make it funny. So he was so gracious and so generous about allowing me to be funny, allowing me to shine and not like upstage me. So a lot of moments like that, that I got, that I was blessed with. And just to be on that stage, you know, to be, to go up to a level of, you know, that was like the first big budget film that I'd done because I'd done a lot of independent film, but that was a like a really big budget. I worked on this show for eight weeks. So it was a really beautiful journey. I learned a lot of things on that show. Talk about All Rise. Like this is your biggest reoccurring character to date, right? Yeah. Like 15 episodes. So and this, this series is still going strong. We're waiting for our season four pickup. 
we dropped the first 10 episodes. So we did like a mid season break. So we have another 10 episodes to air. Uh, we were on CBS. We got canceled. We got picked up by own. This journey has been the pinnacle of everything. I've been here for 20 years. This is the job I was waiting for, for 20 years to walk onto a stage as a woman, an educated woman of color to work with people of color, directed by people of color. It's just like full circle for me. Every year and every disappointment was all worth it to get a job like this. That's amazing. Well, you deserved it. You worked so hard. It was uh, it was a journey of pushing and and falling and having disappointments and and uh, resetting myself every year. I mean, I I must have quit acting like five times in those twenty years. But my partner Mateo saying, "You're not going to quit acting. Number one, you don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, he said you're too talented. I'm not going to let you quit." So I always remind actors who are struggling, if you don't have the support system that it takes, you're not going to make it because you can't make it alone. This is an industry that is so cruel, so isolating, such rejection for very little reward. If you don't have a community, you're not going to make it emotionally. You might make it a career. Hey, you know, there's lightning in a bottle, but all of those people that don't have a good support system to remind them to be gracious and kind and be compassionate to stay grounded, they also turn to drugs and alcohol because once you get to a certain part of your career where you're famous, that doesn't mean you're working all the time. We see it from a different point of view, but if you're in a huge movie that's a success and the movie's done, you're unemployed again. You have to find another job. So now you're living at a different level, right? You have a, a Range Rover. You have a $6 million house in the Hollywood Hills. You have a maid. You have a pool cleaner. You don't have a job. That stress drives people to drink and to do drugs and to self-isolate and to start the loop in the head of, I'm never going to find another job again. How am I going to do this? How am I going to survive? You know, so... That's where family and friends come into the picture. That's a great message. And, and so it's an important thing to kind of remember. And so it sounds like you have a really good support system. Could you, you work with uh, Mateo, right? He, beyond Paranormal. Yes, he he's, a, yes he's, he's a, a go-getter. He's a self-charging like motor. He's like a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> and he is my engine. You know, he fuels me. He gives me my oil changes. He grounds me when I'm getting a little like, oh, my God, I'm on television. He's like, yeah, you still got to clean the toilet, take the dogs out, make dinner, be a real person, you know, connect, be compassionate, be nice. So I appreciate that. That's why we've been together for 17 years, because you can get you can when you when you get to a set and people are like, oh, let me carry your shoes or let me let me dab the dew off your face. Let me brush your hair. Let me dress you. It's very easy to fall into that. Well, you know, I'm more special than you. And I try never to be like that on set. If I'm working with an actress 
or an actor who they're in this scene for just this one episode, I always welcome them. I always make them feel welcome. I always make them feel like they're, they're adding to the show, that they're an asset, that they're a part of this journey and to be their best self. Because I've been on many sets where I was just a piece of furniture in that big machine goes on every day and they, I'm going to leave and another person going to come and replace me. So it doesn't matter to them. I'm just another lunch or snack. I don't like to treat people like that. I like to treat people with the respect that they deserve. Because if you can get on the set, then you had a journey. You had a struggle that got you here. And that deserves praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So many great stories. And I. this was an amazing conversation. I loved every second of it. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Of course, Jen. Thank you for having me. Of course. And where, where is your podcast? Where can we hear you? <laughs> So I can tweet and Instagram. Oh, when it when I put it out, you'll know. Trust me, <laughs> I will let you know. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, sweetheart. You have been such a kind host. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm gonna go see if I can get my wife to wipe the dew off my forehead. That sounded really good. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I've totally enjoyed this. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, the amazing Patricia Ray. How great was that? I got a lot out of that conversation. It was so great to connect with Patricia. We've tweeted together over the years, but that was the first time we ever actually connected in that way and had a conversation. So that was amazing. I hope you all enjoyed it so much. And I can't believe the interview's over. The time just flies. Is it me? Is it flying? It flew. Well, the interview over, that means episode 214 has come to an end. Ah, I can't believe it either. I want to thank once again my special guest, Patricia Ray. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. You know it means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word. And we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations.